0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 43 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter, at GregSauce. And this is the continuation of a two-part podcast uh, with Josh ADHD at FantasyADHD on Twitter. Uh, If you missed out on the first episode, episode 42, for some reason, you should go back and check that out. Uh, We are going to make references in this podcast to what we talked about last time. So it's all one piece. Uh, It was just so long we had to break it up. And I just want to jump right into it. Without further ado, uh, let's rejoin the conversation about MFL 10s. Uh, After that, we'll get into some talk about King of the Hill and the Scott Fishbowl. So stay tuned and get pumped. Here we go. approach an mfl 10 in terms of building a roster
1: i'm pretty straightforward i guess with my roster construction i I stick to you know kind of a structure you know i'm based on research that i've discussed earlier from from uh from mike beers I, i i dedicate eight spots to quarterback tight end and defense and typically um it's only gonna be two at the quarterback position unless you know i do something stupid like i did a couple drafts ago and and take two guys that are on the same bye week within two rounds of each other and then have to go and, you know, kind of correct that later. So uh, typically I'm going to be like two quarterback, three defense, three tight end. Um, I'm always on the fence about the third tight end or sorry, the third defense, because to me, defenses while they do lose players to injury, you don't lose a defense to injury effectively. Yeah, so to me, it's like, I know the third, the third defense has been shown to, to, provide more upside than having two defenses, but I have a hard, I just, this is kind of a philosophical thing for me. I have a hard time getting a third defense when I can't lose a third defense to injury. So maybe it's my caveman brain that I need to, to kind of whip into shape. But to me, it's like, all right, so i got the eight spots at quarterback tight end defense. So far as like a kind of an overarching strategy, I'm pretty much zero RB. I, I try not to draft RBs high because RBs are fungible assets in my mind. Now, that's not to say that I won't go and take a an RB one that I feel like is kind of sliding a little bit. Let's say if I get to the back end of the second uh, – of the sorry, the back end of the third round and I see a guy that's falling, let's say – all right, let's say a guy like Todd Gurley. Okay, so Todd Gurley falls to the uh, back of the third round. I'm taking him every time because – To me, Todd Gurley is, at that price, a very fair attempt at 300 touches. And that's really what you're paying for in a bell cow back. You're paying for touches. Yep, opportunity. You're paying for volume. That's right. You're paying for opportunity. So rather than go and take a guy like Devonta Freeman, who's going to see 240 to 280 touches, why not take a chance on Gurley, who could see 300 to 360 touches, if that team makes any kind of improvement – and doesn't dedicate a third of the work to Lance Dunbar for some ungodly reason. That's the kind of, that's the kind of RB drafting I try to do. I try to look at the guys that are falling. I, I, for the most part, a spouse or not a spouse, but I, for the most part, just try to push aside the rookie running backs because unless they've landed in a cherry situation, like Zeke Elliott did last year, to me, they're not going to pay dividends on the cost that you have to sink into them. So I'm going to look for the veterans guys like, Isaiah Crowell, guys like Carlos Hyde, who have become, for some reason, persona non grata, Spencer Ware, uh, Mark Ingram, CJ Anderson, those guys that are slipping in draft for some reason that still have, you know, RB1 potential every single week, those are the guys I'm going to take. That's the zero RB strategy at work. And then I'd say even a broader scope than that, I'm always looking for guys that are falling past ADP. I mean, I mentioned this at the very beginning of the of the, of the conversation that, you know, I want guys that I perceive to be high leverage, high value that other players are not drafting as such. So I'm thinking of guys like Kenny Britt. So Kenny Britt, Tyrell Williams, uh, those type of players, guys that are falling into anywhere from the 8th to the 12th round that can provide 3rd round, 4th round upside, those are the players I'm looking to pick in every single draft. When you look at my teams, that's primarily what it's constructed of, of guys who are not as productive as their counterparts, but they will be as productive as their counterparts at the end of the season, just because they're not a household name, you know, it's no big deal. So that's, that's kind of how I approach my roster construction. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at eight, eight positions dedicated to tight end quarterback defense. And then the other 12 are, are going to running back and wide receiver, typically in a five, seven split, sometimes in a four, eight split. It just depends on, on what kind of running backs I land at the top.
0: Yeah, and you you're, you bring up a great point just right there at the end. What you do in the beginning of your draft is going to inform how you should approach your roster construction. Uh, you know, if you end up with one of those stud running backs from a top three pick, you know that means that you can probably skimp on the running back position a little bit heavier and only take four, uh, and load up more on the wide receivers. Uh, depending upon what type of commodities or assets or players or however you want to call them, depending upon what types of guys you get in those first you know three to six rounds that's going to dictate what types of players or what you know tiers of players you know do you want those big play wide receivers do you want the the consistent pass catching running backs or do you want the goal line backs for you know big explosive weeks and h- how you've drafted through the early rounds is going to inform those decisions and, and that's something that's hard to learn without practice and also hard to learn without something like adp without being able to you know take a look at your app and say hey look if I wait until the fifth round, I can always get player X and that player X allows me to, you know, kind of avoid that same position in rounds three and four. So that's what I'm going to do. Or that's going to try to do. And of course it never works out exactly how you want and you have to adjust on the fly. And that's, that's what makes this fun. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that seven to eight on the, the one of positions seems right to me. I, if I can get away with only seven spots on tight end quarterback and defense, I'll try to do that. But there is some luck involved in that. You have to feel good about the guys that you did land, or at least good about the values you got um, at those positions. So uh, you and I are, are pretty much in lockstep there. I tend to draft, I think, more running backs than you, but I, I like to I like to think that I can pick out the the better wide receivers more often than my opponents. And with that in mind, I always feel good about my wide receiver core coming out of an MFL MFL ten. And so my primary concern is are my running backs good enough to carry the rest of the team? Are my tight ends good enough? Are my, is my, you know, defense and quarterback selections, are those going to be fine? So yeah, I I will often go more into that like 12 or splitting those 12 spots into six and six, depending upon who I land. And it's, it's not consistent. It varies from draft to draft. And like I said, that's kind of what makes this fun. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about a different best ball format. We we've gone on about MFL tens long enough and probably too long to be honest and if we if we go long enough maybe this will be a two-parter the first in uh the 2qb experience history i'm not sure if if you're if you're game to keep going here but i, I want to talk, talk about... all night greg all night excellent king of the hill 2 i am
1: medicated and ready to go
0: <laughs> this is a this is a scott fish creation and you know that scott comes up with with the best leagues uh, evidenced by the sfb koth is another best ball format this is Superflex, so we're adding essentially a second quarterback spot to the starting lineups. And it's also 16 teams. And the combination of those two things really makes this a challenging format. And before we dive into what that all means in terms of King of the Hill, I kind of want to take it at a granular level. I want to start by talking about Superflex best ball. Let's let's assume that we have a, a best ball league that's your standard 10 or 12 teams, but it does have that Superflex flex. How does that second quarterback spot affect your best ball strategy, Josh?
1: It's kind of like MFL 10s. It depends a lot on where you draft, and it's going to depend on the guys around you. Um, you know, I, I went into this draft, my particular one, I was the four spot. And given the scoring format being as it is with a, you know, with a quarter point per carry, I felt like at, at my number one pick, I needed to get, you know, I kind of needed a running back. But so far as trying to get, you know, the two or the three quarterbacks for Superflex in a 16 team league, that's a really tough proposition, and, and I think in a lot of cases that you have to be prepared and plan a draft or at least pl- have, a, have something in mind where you only have one quarterback or one and a half quarterbacks, kind of, um, and be ready to fill your flex position with wide receiver, tight end, running back, whatever it takes to kind of get by on a week-to-week basis. Um, you know, last year we saw that I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 54 quarterbacks started games and played. So in a super flex league like this with 16 teams, you're effectively going to see probably, I'd say, 32 to 36 quarterbacks taken. Um, maybe more some guys feel like reaching deep for some some rookies or whatnot that they think will start late in the season. So, I mean, you're really you're, – you're drafting two-thirds of the quarterbacks that might play in a season. And, you know, so you've got how many dead spots on a roster after that. So I, I think to some degree if you've identified a couple of quarterbacks that you feel are – durable and can last a season then you take one maybe two quarterbacks i you know two is obviously better for super flex but you know just depending on how the draft goes you may not get your chance at the second guy that you think is going to be that guy as your qb2 yep i mean it's just it it really depends on flow 16 team is what makes this thing so tough
0: yeah absolutely um if, if you're just talking about a 12-team league with Superflex that's best ball, I'd just treat it like 2QB. I want three passers. I want them to have differing bye weeks if I can help it. Yep. But QBs will only move up my rankings a little bit, not a lot, because I, I still feel like I can wait to get value at that position. 16 teams is a huge monkey wrench. I think if you're just talking about going up to 16 teams in a one-quarterback league – the same thing applies. You, you have a small amount of value added to the quarterback position, specifically the guys who are more consistent, like you said, the reliable guys. But I think that the early rounds put value on predictable and re- reliable production for all positions. QBs check that box, but so do you know the stud-wide receivers, so do the elite running backs. And, and meanwhile, best ball always rewards those big outlier weeks, and all QBs are capable of delivering those, whereas you know, to find the running backs who are really going to, you know, tip the scales in your favor, the wide receivers who are really going to blow up uh, on a consistent basis or more often, those are the guys you have to spend your early picks on. So, um, I think you should skew maybe your running back approach a little bit towards getting studs with more teams. If you can't get the studs, I think avoiding them and going for more volume uh, is is a good play, and that's something that I do in MFL tens already. So. Adding more teams, I think that just gets uh, heightened a little bit. When you mix it all together, when you throw sixteen teams plus superflex, uh, th- these are I think what sixteen team or sixteen sixteen player rosters. I, the, the quarterbacks go way up there because the supply is way less than de- the demand. You know, if you have in, in a normal two QB league, every team is going to want three quarterbacks. So if you have sixteen teams wanting three quarterbacks each, that's forty eight quarterbacks. But only 32 can start in a given week, and then there are bye weeks where that gets, you know, cut cut down even more. So I do think that it gives a lot more value to the timeshare guys, like you were talking about those those rookies, those um, those guys who may not have a starting gig at the beginning of the year, um, guys that you would avoid in an in an NFL 10, but here in, in King of the Hill, you have to consider those guys because. Quarterbacks do score more than other positions. So if you get a guy who's only starting for you know three to six games in a season, that could still be useful because if those are scoring weeks for your team, uh, those might be scoring weeks at the super flex spot where other people are taking scoring weeks from uh, lower scoring positions like running back, wide receiver, tight end. In general, this format also has me wanting to punt tight end. Uh, I think that the other positions just matter more considering the flex spots. I know that it's tight end premium scoring, I think that tide lifts all the the tight end ships. the The high volume guys are definitely going to be good, like Kelsey, Greg Olson, Rob Gronkowski. Like, yes, those guys are worth high high capital. But again, so are the other elite players at other positions. And, and with that in mind, I'd rather try to cobble together uh, a committee of tight ends to cover me there. Anything else you want to talk about? Just general strategy in King of the Hill. I mean, well, the drafts are over. We're not really giving anything away. But um, how how are you? How did you approach this? in your draft.
1: I got to say, I was kind of disappointed when I saw I had the fourth pick, because at that point it's like, okay, well I'm, I'm not going to get one of the top three running backs. And so what am I going to do at pick four? Because pick, I mean, it's pick four is like, it's a decision point already. It's, it's not made for you. So I kind of went, I kind of went off script at, at pick four and I went with Jay Ajayi because I thought, okay, well here's a running back that I feel like has a real realistic chance at getting 350 touches this year. And that's what I'm paying for. So I felt like in the offense, with the evolution of the Miami offense, that JJ was, was a reasonable reach at that position if you can have a reach at the fourth spot. Um, I paid for volume there knowing it was a 16-team league. Um, so far as just general strategy, I mean, it's – my draft was kind of – I felt like I was off kilter the whole time uh, because quarterbacks went a lot faster than I was expecting. You know, I think the year before with the same scoring format, I had Russell Wilson – in the third round and I had Tyrod Taylor in the seventh round and this year I mean forget it those guys weren't even I mean that caliber player was gone
0: in the second round and that's a that's a reaction to how these leagues played out last year where the teams who had the good quarterbacks tended to perform well so people saw that and they said oh I need to get these guys early even if it's Joe Flacco even if it's Tyrod Taylor I have to spend that second or third round pick on these guys but it was crazy in the drafts man It, it took me off guard too I had a later pick. I think I had the eighth or ninth pick in my draft, and I was surprised at how many wide receivers were being taken. And I ended up with Andrew Luck at the end of the first round, which felt like a big gift, to be honest. He wasn't one of like the rushing guys. Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily get um, the guys who were going to exploit that point or quarter point per carry, but I felt so good about that that when it came back to me in the second round, I was like, okay, I got Luck at a discount. Now I don't have to take a second quarterback. I'm going to take Jordan Howard. Again, going for that bell cow running back, kind of like you did with Jay Ajayi. I understand the situation for Howard probably isn't quite as good, but he's still a guy who could get you know 300-plus touches, and that's what you want. That's um, exactly right. And so, But I was thinking, well, I'll get somebody reasonable back to me in the third round, and it was just quarterback, 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 to the point where it came back to me in the third round, and I was looking at, you know a bunch of really good players at non-quarterback positions because they had just kept sliding. But if I wanted to take a QB, I'm looking at guys like Joe Flacco, Alex Smith, Sam Bradford in the third round. And, and I'm knows, going, right? Yeah, and I and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't pull the trigger on one of those guys that early. And I and I looked at you know who would make it back to me in the fourth round. And I told myself, look, if those guys, if if the guys I'm considering now all get taken. I pretty much have to take my second quarterback, even if it's Jared Goff. And lo and behold, it was Jared fucking Goff in round four. speed! Oh, my God. Like, I think I took Amari Cooper in the third, and I felt good about it at the time. I talked to Sal a lot about it, um, just over Slack, just chatting, like, ah, here's what I'm weighing. Like, what do you think? And he kind of he echoed what I was feeling. It's like, you know, quarterbacks quarter quarterbacks. Like Goff really probably isn't that much worse than Alex Smith or Sam Bradford. But just in hindsight, like the feel-bads of it really make me wonder if I should have taken the guy I like the most there, Flacco, and just taken whatever wide receiver made it back to me in the next round. What do you think about that decision? Would you have done the same thing? I think I probably would have. And that's, you know, that's something I'm I'm
1: working on personally is in a draft like this, and and we're going to see it again in fishbowl seven because the scoring is so different and the demands are so different than what we're used to, that we're going to have to quickly assess and change our perception of what value is in the middle of a draft. So that a guy like Jared Goff, while we would never draft that guy where we're talking about all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I kind of have to do this because otherwise I'm going to be shit out of luck. Mm -hmm. and being a shit out of luck in a league like this is it sucks man so and that's probably something that's not talked about enough in the industry is that when you get in a non-standard draft format how to how to suddenly change your stripes and and just kind of change your worldview for a single draft you know we talk about trying to, to change in the middle of a draft in the standard ppr snake draft but you know what do you do when the whole world's turned on its head you know can you change that rapidly and can you compartmentalize that and and that's It's tough for me to do. I can't do it. So here I am. I end up with, you know, I I took Cody Kessler like in the fifth round because it's like, at that point, it's like, well, shit, I got to have a second quarterback now. And he's the best shot I got at a starter. Thank God he lasted till when he lasted. Otherwise, I really probably would have just gone with Phillip Rivers the entire season and no second quarterback.
0: Yeah. And I, I honestly just, I don't know if you can win if that's your, if that's your approach. If you only have the one QB in a super flex best ball, like I would guess that you can't, you just straight can't do it. Not unless you hit the nuts with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, yeah, totally. or Tom Brady. I mean, you, you've
1: you got to land the elite guy and then just say F at the rest of the draft.
0: Right. And that actually makes me wonder if I didn't necessarily screw up in the third round when I took Amari a Cooper, but it made me think back to the second round when I took Jordan Howard over Cam Newton. Cam Newton went immediately with the next pick. And I could have locked up Luck and Newton and that That might have been the mistake, even though the running backs are so well rewarded in this scoring format because you get quarter point per carry and a half point for PPR i, I yeah, I don't know, like the double quarterback thing is something that I'm so loath to do in two quarterback leagues at a base level that I just couldn't bring myself to do it when there was such a an obvious value at the running back position staring back at me. You're right. in In that moment, it's possible it would have been correct to completely abandon my baseline strategy. And, and I mean, time will tell. Probably these leagues will bear out that I should have taken Cam Newton, is my guess. But I, I hate thinking that I'm giving other people value with you know letting Jordan Howard slide. Does that make sense? It does.
1: And you know, this I reflect back to this draft last this time last year, and Josh Lake said something to me that's resonated with me and stuck with me. And he, he talks about the concept of driving behavior in a draft. You know, Josh is a big uh, philosophy guy. He, he's a philosophy major. He understands uh, behavior probably better than any of us do. And he talked about the concept of driving drafters behavior by doing something at a turn. So, you know, what did he do at a turn that year? He took two quarterbacks back to back. And lo and behold, everybody behind him is domino, dunk quarterback, 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 quarterback. And what what does that do? That pushes other positions back to him at a at a later point. So you know to do it over again, you know, I if, if my if my third round pick three or four, I took Travis Kelsey, and bang, right behind it, Tyrod Taylor, Joe Flacco, two guys I would have been totally happy to have as my QB two, but instead I you know I kind of reached for a brass ring with with a, you know what I felt like was a Cadillac tight end. Um, so. I think I think if we think about the concept of driving behavior, attempting to drive behavior uh for later dividends, that might make the, you know, kind of the wholesale change in strategy a lot more palatable.
0: Yeah, see, but I think you could turn that on its ear and look at it the other way and say that I was trying to drive behavior by taking Jordan Howard, you know, trying to say, Hey, look, there are these other positions available. Um sometimes I, I don't I don't know how much you can really affect what other people are doing. I guess at the turn if you do two of the same position, that's a much more That's a much stronger statement and a a much stronger push to the other drafters to, you know, hey, wake up and pay attention to this position relative to me going quarterback, running back. I think that's
1: going to depend on, I think that's going to depend on the tiers. What do you mean by that? Well, all right. So by, by how players are, by how the other drafters tier players, you know, they talk about, you know, you tier your running backs, you tier your wide receivers, your quarterbacks. So I think if you take two quarterbacks or two, any position at what's perceived as the drop off or near the drop off of a tier,
0: I think you can drive behavior that way. That's fair. And I and I would have done that if I had taken Newton because he was the last of the guys who probably had QB one in their in their upside. So yeah. opportunity missed, man.
1: Again, that takes you know, that takes probably a lot more I'd say a lot more study and reflection in the moment than, you know, a lot of working class stiffs like you and me had to give to a draft <laughs> like this, right?
0: Yeah, tell me about it uh but it is fun to think about after the fact because i mean i'm planning to play in this league again next year and and, we'll do
1: better next time
0: (laughs) yeah right (laughs) hey i mean that's all you can do right is kind of learn from what you perceive to be mistakes and who knows these may not end up being mistakes when we look back on them so we'll we'll find out um what were there any other kind of big lessons you learned from your draft like are there certain you know You wish you hadn't made, or just kind of general things about this 16-team best ball super flex format that stood out to you, uh, that that you took away and and will try to apply either to this league again next year or to other leagues?
1: Yeah, I mean so so far as I'm concerned, I other than I would say probably other than the top end of the draft, I'm I'm pretty pleased with what I did on the back end. You know, it's it's kind of my general strategy. I'm just I'm looking for players that I like that are for some reason falling through the cracks. So You know, I end up with, with guys like um, Cameron Braid in the 11th round. I got Antonio Gates in the 12th round. Um, You know, Muhammad Sanu, people still forget Muhammad Sanu's in the league as wide receiver two in Atlanta and what should be a, a, you know, again, a high volume passing offense. So, you know, there's a lot of guys I feel like I got late that can provide me, you know, let's say eight to 10 week scoring upside that were effectively free compared to their counterparts. Um, I do think next year when I come back to this, I'm probably going to evaluate quarterback a lot harder and maybe attack that position a little bit sooner, depending on how this year goes. You know, if I totally roll a Yahtzee this year and end up getting relegated to to a league below, then I'm definitely going to have to, to question some of the decisions I made here. But you know, if, if if things work out and I get to, you know, I get promoted, then that's going to be like, well, you know, I'm perfect and I did everything right. And I have no reason to change anything I've ever done in my life. So I'll just I'll just keep parading up up the board until my next
0: promotion. <laughs> I like it, yeah. For, for me, draft slot was something that I really thought about a lot in this in this contest here, where not just in the first round and how that affects your choices, but how the, the your draft slot can affect what you were talking about earlier, where, where the tiers drop off in later rounds, and I hadn't really. I don't draft in enough 16-team leagues, especially 16-team Superflex, to know where those breaking points are going to land, you know? And I think that's something that I will take a greater look at next year when these roll around. I, I also think that, you know, kind of looking at how the draft played out, rookie optimism has more of a home in best ball because you can take the floor as long as you're getting a ceiling. But I still think that these young players are overvalued. Like, looking at how my league played out or my draft played out, like... I don't really agree with how early some of these, the young running backs and wide receivers are being taken. And even like second year players, I think that the veterans kind of get disrespected a lot of the time when we draft this early. Um, And that's something that we've talked about before. Like I know Josh and I, Josh Lake and I have talked about that a lot on previous episodes that when you're drafting now between say March and June, you're playing mostly with dynasty centric fantasy players and those guys just inherently, because of the nature of that format, tend to overvalue youth. And that's something that I think is changing uh, in the dynasty landscape a little bit. People are starting to realize it's like, oh, hey, these veterans do have value. And, oh, they're probably undervalued, so I can you know, make plays for them and, and profit from that. But it's still something that I think we fight against a lot when we're drafting this early in the season is that you know young players tend to be a little bit more expensive than they should be.
1: And we're always infatuated with what could be rather than, you know, the known quantity, right?
0: Absolutely. And, I mean, with that said, I drafted Samaj P. Ryan in this draft. I drafted DeAndre Washington, Jonathan Williams, like Jordan Howard, Devontae Booker. Th- that's, what, five first- or second-year running backs on my own roster? So <laughs> It sounds explosive. I should, I should slap my own hand here, but at the same time, like I feel like those are the types of young players that you want, the guys who aren't, you know, commanding the Christian McCaffrey prices, with the, the the bigger hype um yeah i i think that this draft played out okay despite my quarterback you know lamentations from the first few rounds i do like my squad like i ended up with good wide receivers too i have uh cooper who i mentioned earlier demarius thomas ted Ginn, eric decker um, as my kind of base guys and i took a late round flyer on michael campanaro this was of course before jeremy macklin signed with with baltimore so that's a wasted pick, but wait, wait, wait. Um, you never know. We'll see. You know, yeah, you never know. I mean, who knows if Mike Wallace or Prashad Perryman will, will crap the bed or anything. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this play out. It's a super competitive format. a super tough format. I mean, as you can tell by the way we've been talking about it, listeners, this is this is one that even has some of you know us really deep two QB type players flummoxed when we when we go into the draft. It's it's really hard to navigate, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes
1: yeah and if i could just one final thought about a league like this is you know with the thought of promotion and relegation in place you do need to kind of play it like an mfl 10 in that i mean it's it's great to just kind of you know i guess hover for lack of a better term and stay in your league but if you really want to promote i mean you kind of have to take the tack that i think you did in your draft where you take a lot of uh, a lot of young guys and call them post hype sleepers that have explosive upside at a reasonable cost and, you know, if all those guys hit, if even half of them hit, then you're probably looking at a promotion to a higher league. And that's what you want. That's what you want in a league like this. So, I mean, if, if this is a kind of league where you don't necessarily
0: want to play it safe. You want to play YOLO high upside, and
1: it sounds like you kind of played that perfectly.
0: Yeah, I, I feel good about everything except my QB2 spot. I mean, even I think the, the the thing I really tried to hammer this year that I did a poor job of at last year was avoiding the bad offenses, um, and I still have some guys who are potentially on bad offenses, but I, I did end up with more guys who are in good situations like P. Ryan, like DeAndre Washington.
1: Oh, dude, you've got Jonathan Williams. You shark. Yes, sir. That was such a, was such a smart pick.
0: Yep, we'll see how it goes. I, I'm, I'm not trying to count my chickens before they hatch. I, I like I like this roster, but a lot of it is leaning on Jared Goff, so I'll, I'll have some incentive to watch some Ram games for the first time in however many years. That That'll, that'll be interesting. God um, bless your soul. Yeah, let's let's move on. Let's get to something that we kind of teased at the beginning, and this is maybe where we should have spent the most time because it it's still you know in the in the foreground of of what's coming up here in the fantasy world. The, the Scott Fishbowl SFB seven Scott created King of the Hill, but you could probably say his greatest accomplishment is the Scott Fishbowl, and we've talked a lot about how the scoring settings have changed, and, and the key is that we've lost. PPR. There are no points awarded for any sorts of receptions here. Uh, there's no point per carry either, which we had last year for the running backs, but we now get points for first downs, and uh, those are rushing and receiving first downs, not passing first downs. What are your thoughts on this change? Uh, what, what do you see that doing to how the leagues play out and how, how these players score?
1: Yes, for, for Scott B- Fishbowl scoring going into this year, I mean, it's with a point for first down. I mean, obviously, Scott likes to introduce a kind of a concept that really stresses people every year. Last year it was, you know, reducing PPR to a half, I think, and then going to a quarter point per carry. And then this year just taking it a step further with the point per first down. And, you know, I, I really appreciate what he's driving at here is that, you know, the first downs are probably one of the most important things in football, but we don't account for them in any way really in our fantasy scoring and our standard systems. I do like that he is uh, not giving quarterbacks point per first down. I think at that point it probably makes quarterback scoring a little bit too powerful. And having played in a couple of overpowered quarterback scoring leagues, it, it really isn't it's no much fun. fun. No, it's no fun at all. And, I, and in fact, I have quit every single one of those leagues where quarterback scoring is overpowered, just because you know it's it,
0: it takes all the smarts out of it, in my opinion. Yeah, um, points per completion is not not somewhere you want to be. You can, no, you can kiss those leagues goodbye. Absolutely.
1: So I, I do like that his point per first down um, for for rushing and receiving. What I really like is that he's giving tight end a big boost. Uh, it's effectively two and a half points per first down. So you know, looking at a uh, a scoring touchdown, I think a, a touchdown for a tight end is like eight and a half points. I mean that that's very meaningful. I'm very surprised so far by the the ADP I've seen on on the Scott Fishbowl mocks that it hasn't really lined up with the scoring to this point. Josh Hernsmeyer, Frisco Josh on Twitter, had some really good points last week on uh, on the numbers game pod about uh, first down scoring relative to targets for both tight end – or for, sorry, not just both, but tight end, running back, wide receiver um, as a percentage of their targets and kind of how that broke down. And if you look at, at tight ends, especially like the the high leverage tight ends, guys that are going to get a lot of targets – Um, you can multiply their projected targets by 0.4 and that's the number of first downs they're going to get. So if you look at a guy like Travis Kelsey, who could see 120 to 140 targets and multiply that by 40%. So you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, let's say, you know, 35 to 50 extra points that you're going to get out of a tight end just on first downs alone. I mean, that's pretty huge. That's a significant chunk of scoring. And I think you had mentioned it earlier that, that in a format like this, you got a guy like uh, Travis Kelsey, I think you'd mentioned, that outscored Mike Evans. I mean, that that's unbelievable. It really is. But that's the scoring format that we're in this year, and it's gonna be a shitload of fun to draft in it because I think you're gonna have a lot of folks come in that probably haven't thought about the scoring format all that much and may tend to draft the way they've drafted every time that they've drafted a the league, you know, if it's PPR or whatnot. And that's gonna provide some some real value to guys that are studied up a little bit and recognize the paradigm shift that needs to happen drafting a league like this just because of the scoring.
0: Yeah, and I think you're seeing that play out in these mocks. People are not accounting for the scoring settings properly whatsoever. They're still drafting wide receivers relatively highly. The tight end position is being straight-up disrespected considering how much those elite guys score relative to the wide receiver position. The first down stuff is really interesting, though, because – running backs score or or accumulate more of them than wide receivers do and tight ends uh they they get the most by far because they come in on those short yardage situations those those plays where you know running the ball is highly effective so the guys who are consistently getting those sorts of looks and the guys who are also converting you know longer first downs the guys who can run for four to six yards a carry uh you know the elite guys those guys are going to score very highly and they should be the the first picks in in these drafts for sure but at some point that flips you know the high first down volume is harder to find at running back eventually because you know the guys at the top of the draft have them but those guys were already going to go at the top of drafts anyway it's when you get into those middle rounds you have to know when to flip the switch to say okay the running backs that i could draft now are no longer getting you know the bonus essentially for being first down heavy guys Whereas the wide receiver first downs are a lot more consistent from top to bottom. Um, I I did a little bit of digging on this. So if you look at the running backs who had the most first downs, the guy who had the 10th most was LeGarrette Blunt. He had 68. The guy who had the 24th most uh, had 45. It was Ryan Matthews and Matt Forte tied. So that's a pretty big gap, right? You're you're talking about, what is that, 23 spots? uh, 23 first downs? 23 points. Yes. Now, if you do the same thing for wide receivers, you go from number 10 uh, was DeAndre Hopkins. He had 56, so not quite as many as Blunt, but the 24th most guys, Amari Cooper and Golden Tate, had 47. So you're only looking at a difference of nine points there. So you can see that the wide receivers are much more homogenized in how they accumulate first downs, which really means that you can wait on that position, and you should wait on that position. You should be targeting one running backs who are going to get a lot of first downs highly, uh, the bell Cow backs quarterbacks because this is still super flex and quarterbacks score more than anybody else um this is six points per passing touchdown which does matter not as much as most people think but it matters a little bit and then the tight end position because like you said they get that huge uh bonus for for uh first down so the elite guys there are going to be outscoring the elite wide receivers it's it's crazy if you can pull up the stats yeah you pull up the uh the stats the the player stats page sort by points sort by points per game and you Mm -hmm. can see the tight ends are are scoring more on average than these other positions and with that said i think there is a a push and pull there i think that a lot of this we saw last year with the scott fishbowl one of the things that i was arguing against at the time was yes running backs are more valuable if you get though that quarter point per carry you want the guys who are going to get a ton of carries but at some point most drafters realize that and all those running backs are going to rise up adp it doesn't necessarily mean you just want to backfill behind them with more running backs the running backs who aren't going to get the same opportunity the same volume at that point those good wide receivers do become the right pick and you have to navigate that you have to figure that out in the moment and and i think that ultimately it does come down to talent like the guys i was talking about at wide receiver um within those top 24 first downs like amari cooper deandre hopkins golden tate you can see just the depth at wide receiver there better than you compared to the guys who are you know 24th most in first downs at running back ryan matthews matt forte talent is is kind of what separates these guys even if the numbers might indicate that you should be taking you know running backs on average at a higher value than wide receiver does that does that Carrying the water? To, am I making sense here?
1: Absolutely. I, I think that's the probably the the philosophical struggle that's going to take place in in most of the drafters' brains is what they've been, I'd say, trained to believe, and then what the draft needs them to believe in order to be successful. You know, I think I think you have a very good point there, where you know, running, wide receiver is being highly devalued. But oh, I remember what I was going to come back to here. Uh, you know, we talked about a little bit a little bit earlier the concept of tiering in a draft, right? So. <laughs> You know, you mentioned how wide receiver first downs, it's a much more, I'd say, a, like a steady linear decay across the wide receiver position than it is at running back, than it is at tight end. It's like that quarterback middle class we were talking about earlier. Exactly right. So, I mean, you know, it's it's going to be another great malaise at, at wide receiver, probably be, between somewhere between wide receiver eight and wide receiver 40, you know, something like that, where these guys are all kind of, kind of look the same except for, you know, touchdown numbers and touchdown numbers are more or less, they're pretty random. So if we strip touchdown numbers of it and just look at volume and first down conversion and, you know, maybe a little bit of yards after the catch or something like that, then we can maybe get a little bit of clarity out of the situation. But I think going into this draft, it's going to be very helpful for for folks to kind of have their tier denomination set in mind. So they, they they understand when there's gonna be a tear drop off for their project for their projections and if it's coming up near one of the tiers then you well you probably better damn well draft one of the guys it's before your drop off or you you know, here you are, you're gonna be left holding the holding the bag and you know, uh-huh. there may be um Jared Goff in your bag. You know,
0: like <laughs> that. And yet somehow I have him in one of my bags. I uh, just <laughs> embrace him and love him and water him and grow him. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I, I do want to uh, throw out a few more numbers here just because I, I, you know, did the digging earlier today. Um, highest percent of opportunities to result in first downs. That's, you know, targets plus carries. Who, who among, you know, the NFL are converting the most of those, not touches, but looks into first downs? Um, the top five are all running backs, and, you know, three of them are relatively obvious. You have Devonta Freeman. Uh, leading the way at 28.4 percent uh ezekiel elliott Le'Veon bell tied for third at 28.2 percent do you have a guess for who number who the number two guy is at 28.3 man throw a name out i would have to guess a guy like i'm gonna i'm gonna say melvin gordon it's duke johnson which is (laughs) the power from behind that's right. And how about number five at twenty eight percent? This is a guy that you have already admitted on this show that you do not like. Oh gosh, Derek Henry. Derek freaking Henry, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. So that that was eye opening to me. Not just for this format, but it made me reconsider him for other formats. You know, and that's what's cool about digging deeper on other stats is you can start to find through lines. You can connect these dots. Where you can say, "Oh, look, you know Derek Henry. Yeah, he's probably overvalued in NFL 10s. But then you see something like this, and you are like, "Wow, the dude is converting first downs on the same level as Bell, Elliott, and Devonta Freeman. Like, maybe there is something- good. Yeah, that's right. There is some- maybe there is something I am missing, and maybe it's all about opportunity with him. Maybe he's a guy who, if Demarco Murray does get hurt, or if the Titans just decide, look, Henry's better than Murray. We're going to use him more. That sort of stuff is." is something we need to be looking at. So I, I, I thought that was fascinating. The fact that Duke Johnson and Derrick Henry both made the top five in terms of percentage of opportunities that resulted in first downs. Um Let me throw this
1: at you as a concept for this draft. Let me throw this at what What about taking Murray and Henry on your team as a tandem?
0: Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, this is, this is a, a deep enough league, uh, you know, 20 roster spots, right. And super flex and no trading. So, handcuffing becomes a lot more viable in here. Well, and,
1: and, well, I, I think we need to be careful about using the term handcuffing because it's not – a, fair, a, a fair. The, the, way, the way I'm playing this, this is not a traditional handcuff. You're not taking a backup. What you're doing is you're taking a guy that you think is going to get 30% of the work and you're mm-hmm. effectively forming out of clay a team running back position out of two guys. So we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier with Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman. I did this last year in the Scott Fish Bowl with Adrian Peterson and Jarek McKinnon. You beautiful man. See, it's, it's a good I'm strategy. Yeah, I'm on board. And you, but you were missing the, the crucial Matt Asiata piece. <laughs>
0: I wouldn't say I was missing it, Bob. <laughs> um, I, I also want to throw out just a few uh, numbers on quarterbacks as rushers. Pretty predictable here. The Russian quarterbacks uh, who scored the most first downs, Tyrod Taylor had 31. Cam Newton and Colin Kaepernick had 28 each. Uh, the next guy might surprise you, Aaron Rodgers with 25.
1: I believe him absolutely because you know, that guy's running for his life on half mm-hmm. of his plays. So it doesn't surprise me that he would convert a lot of second and long, third and long uh, just with his feet. A, a guy that I that I wouldn't be surprised to see up at that list would be Ryan Tannehill. Although I don't know if they scheme run. I do think that that guy, I mean, he still has the
0: athletic ability to do it. Um, I'd be curious to know where he lands. He used to run more. Yeah, he run. He ran more in past seasons. Uh, the next guys in terms of you know ranking them: Dak Prescott, twenty-one; Andrew Luck, Blake Bortles had twenty each; Mariota had nineteen. So again, a lot of the running guys here. I'll, I'll look what up did, the what did uh, Dalton land? Dalton had seventeen.
1: That's not that's not shabby. And Tannehill had ten. Okay. Okay, wait, wait. wait. Tannehill, now, Tannehill got dinged up, but. I'll take that for what that is. But Dalton, I think Dalton's always the sneaky guy in that running back class. And I think I've seen a few guys mention that on Twitter where, you know, Dalton, he he runs for a surprising number of touchdowns. He runs for a surprising number of yards because, you know, you you see Kevin or uh, Scott Farkas out there. Sorry, Scott Farkas out there with the ball. And um, you don't think that guy can run. But, yeah, I mean, he, he runs a little bit and he always manages to get a few touchdowns and convert a few first downs. And here we are. We got 17 first downs out of that guy.
0: And considering the state of their offensive line, you might see him scrambling even more this year. So that's something to keep an eye on. I think that the big sleeper here, and it's a guy we've already talked about loving this year, is Russell Wilson. He only had 17 rushing first downs last season. Crippled. I think that that's yeah, that's bound to go way up. Uh, he he should be running more in 2017, and he's a guy who's probably a first rounder in the in the Scott Fishbowl format. I think it's arguable that
1: I think it's I think you can make a really good argument that that Russell Wilson should be QB one in a draft like
0: this. He's my QB3 for redraft, but yes, I agree. The reason I have him higher than, you know, other like guys like Brady and Breeze is because he has that rushing upside and that QB1 upside as well. So, uh, I'm totally with you. So so just in general, Josh, what do you think about the fact that this is a gigantic number of teams in a tournament? How, how does that change your strategy because it has to, right? You can't just treat this like a 12-team league because you're not trying to beat 11 other guys, you're trying to beat 500 plus players well how does that inform your draft strategy
1: well so far as the draft is concerned I'm probably the way I look at it is I'm drafting to get out of my league I'm drafting to get out of my conference and sorry so I need to you know survive a 13-week season and then at that point excuse me at that point then I'm going to worry about the playoffs in a league like this I think waivers are critical waivers are going to win your league so last year, I mean, there were there were some guys on waivers that ended up winning leagues. You're looking at guys like Ty Montgomery that ended up winning leagues. Kristen Michael, to some degree, through the first half of the season, I mean, that guy was bailing wire and duct tape on my team to get to the playoffs once, uh, once I drafted Le'Veon Bell, and then he missed a few games with his uh, transgressions, so to speak. So being able to move on the waiver wire ahead of everybody else by a week or two is going to be really critical. I know last year, recognizing that Taylor Gabriel was – so to speak, a linchpin in the Atlanta game plan. As soon as I saw it happen on a Monday night football, or sorry, a Thursday night football game against New Orleans, and grabbing him on the waiver wire that night, that to me, that paid a lot of dividends. And I think it's going to do the same thing again this year. You're going to have to find guys before everybody else does, and get them on your on your on your roster at a reasonable cost because uh, you know I do remember last year, Dak Prescott. A lot of guys were sticking 100 percent of their. Um, of their free agent money on that guy which was great it paid off at the end of the year probably but they were also you know they they were up shit creek to try to do anything else once the once injuries hit so being able to smartly play the waivers and pick up guys ahead of schedule is really to me how you're going to win a league like this and you got to stockpile enough of the late season talent that you can sustain injuries and be able to basically outscore everybody else I mean it's there's a lot of luck involved but at the same time you got to kind of have a little bit of a crystal ball in your on your side too
0: yep my notes are basically the same as yours It's you you play for weeks 13 to 16 you're just trying to get to that point with with some high upside on your roster Uh, i think that in the draft that really rewards those of us who can sift through like the noise and variance to identify the best players in sketchy situations like if you can figure out who from a running back platoon is going to be the guy Uh, If you can get a good feel for that or if you can get a good beat on, uh, you know, a quarterback, like let's say you don't believe in Cody Kessler and you think Deshaun Kaiser is going to be starting there by week four or something. That's the type of player that you want to be you want to be out ahead of the pack on. You want to be drafting that guy higher. You want to be picking him up a week early. Uh, We saw that with Colin Kaepernick last season. Right. He was a guy who really came in late in the season and won a lot of games for Scott Fishbowl. Uh, players not only because he was a quarterback in a super flex league, but because he contributed those those rushing attempts when we had point for or quarter point per carry. And my last note was the same as yours. It's crucial to stay active. You have to be on the waiver wire at all times. Like you really need to be uh, looking for that edge in season because there is no trading uh, because the draft is so deep. You're you're really going to have to mine the waiver wire for value, and I think that that's uh, very important. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about the ADP, and you've gathered this on your site, uh, fantasyadhd. dot com. Uh, co- go check it out for the MFL Ten app for the SFB average draft position data. I- I'm going to take issue with a lot of the data as it is, and we've talked already about why we think you know drafters aren't really thinking about the the scoring settings when they're doing these these mocks. But what from? The ADP, have you gathered so far? Like, what do you, what are you seeing that has surprised you? What are you seeing that you maybe agree with? Um, what are your findings so far?
1: You know, a, on a macro scale, I think we kind of touched on this already. That that, that tight end is being largely ignored uh, for the value that it can provide. You know, I'm, I'm just looking right now, refresh from the data I gathered uh, right before lunchtime today. It looked like you know Rob Ronkowski is going at at 19. He's the 19th overall player off the board, which makes zero sense to me. Given his upside, you know a guy like him that can score 16 touchdowns and probably convert, you know, let's say in the neighborhood of 60 first downs. How can you not draft that guy in the top 10? Like, seriously, and and then Travis Kelsey is not even on the first page right now. He's um, I can't even find him right now, probably because I'm blind. But <laughs> either way, I, I feel like uh, on a macro scale, I think tight ends being ignored at this point. I do. It still looks like RB is being drafted like it's MFL 10 season. You know, granted there is a quarter point per carry, and granted, you know, there are zero points per reception now. So you're really just looking at carry volume and touchdowns and yards. There's um, no point per carry
0: anymore. It's just the first downs.
1: Oh, we just got we got rid of quarter point per carry as well. Yep. See, I've been living in a cave. But,
0: but that is still something that does reward the elite running backs for sure. Um, and Kelsey is at tie. He's at pick 33 in your ADP. Um, right at the end of the third round behind Marcus Mariota, but also behind DeAndre Hopkins, which, again, if you look at the scoring, like there's a very good chance that Kelsey outscores DeAndre Hopkins. Now, speaking of tight ends, I-, I agree with you, but let me play devil's advocate here for a second. Do you think that part of people's fear of investing in the position is that tight ends are perhaps at more risk of injury than other positions?
1: I don't know if I agree with that, because... You know, a lot of the studies I've seen, and primarily this is going to be one by, uh, I remember Josh Hermsmeyer did one last year on um, I, primarily running back and wide receiver. I, the tight end might have been mixed in there. But I'm not scared about tight ends getting injured based on some of the research I've seen. It's, um, I think the position scores enough where it's worth taking a risk because, again, we're playing in a risky league. Yes. Um now, I will say this, that in 2016, tight end was an absolute disaster for scoring. I mean, you got guys like Kyle Rudolph finishing in the top seven. Uh, that kind of tells you all you need to know about tight end for the year. Now, that's not to disparage Kyle Rudolph at all. I think he's he's a fine player, but a tight end for a Minnesota offense should not be anywhere in the top seven of tight end, in my opinion, just based on how they run their run their business. But I think tight ends do get injured. I mean, looking at the top, you got Travis Kelsey, who's, you know, he's kind of been seen as, as kind of a made a glass in the past. You got Jordan Reed. We know he's made a glass, at least in his noggin, and, um, and Gronk as well. You know, he's got shoulder back injuries, and he's just, you know, he's, he's on crutches any time. We're just waiting on that. So you know, there is a lot of risk at the top of the draft, but, again, we're, we're in a league with how many people? So, I mean, you have to take that risk in order to win. Yep. And so it's you know we're not playing we're not playing a 50-50 here we're playing to win. So if you're playing to win, I mean this I to me that's the risk you've got to reach out for and take if that's what you intend to do.
0: Yeah, it's it's just a, such a demanding position, right? It's like they have to block, they have to go out and catch passes over the middle where they're going to take big hits because they're larger. They have these smaller defensive backs going at them in the legs, you know, their knees and their ankles and stuff. So I can see the you know the argument or the narrative that these guys might be less reliable game to game. But with that said, I still want stud tight ends considering the, the scoring format. Now, am I going to draft Gronk in the first? No, I'm probably not. I mean, I I will you know 100% admit that he is a guy who is probably worth that pick but I'd much rather use your tool look at ADP and say well why take Gronk in the first or second when I can get Tyler Eifert at the end of the fifth or Jimmy Graham after him like these guys who have tight end one upside or top five tight end upside at least and we've seen them do it before but the, the injury risk is factored into their price, whereas with... I think guys, those guys are perfect choices,
1: too. You, yes. I mean, those are the exact two guys I would select, too, in that scenario, is, is Eifert and Graham.
0: Mm-hmm. And for me, I do think that Martell Spennett, a guy I talked about earlier, it kind of fits that mold a little bit lower down. Um, if only for the, the touchdown, and like you said, the high leverage aspect of the targets he should be getting. He should be scoring a lot of first downs and, and, and a lot of touchdowns, hopefully, considering you know the the general lack of red zone weapons on that team um, not that you know Aaron Rodgers really needs that much help to to score but i think that that big body tight end receiver in the in the red areas is, is something that's going to be pretty valuable for that team and for fantasy owners now if you're going further down adp and you're looking at guys like Zach Ertz and uh, Eric Ebron I, I think that those guys while they're fine placeholders those are going to be the the players that other drafters are going to be settling on while you, you know, the Royal, you, the listeners, Josh and I here are, are looking to get those those stud guys instead and actually pay the premium or, you know, the lowest premium possible to get those guys with top three upside at the position.
1: Yeah, and it's, I was going to mention, you know, this is one of the one of the really cool things that kind of inadvertently I found with my tool is if you go to the ADP distribution distribution tab. Um, where it shows a graphical replica, uh, representation of where guys have been selecting certain players. Love those. Uh, you could look up a guy like Rob Barkowski and see every pick where he's been taken in the last whatever days, however you decide to, to cut up the time frame. So I just went and looked just for you know shits and grins, and I see that four guys have taken Gronk um, in the first round, and like another three or four have taken him at the 18th pick exactly. So it, you know while he may have an ADP that's showing up at – pick 24 i mean there are some folks out there that are kind of they're kind of wise to what's going on here and they're taking him early and you know god help you if you're banking on a uh, on a second round adp and you get in the draft from one of these guys that's that's pretty sharp and understands the tie-in needs to go a lot sooner than what the adp is indicating and you know y- you could be left holding a bag if that's what your plan is going into the draft
0: that's such a crucial point to make that this is average draft position this isn't where they're going to go explicitly and that some of these guys are going to go above adp some of them are going to go below and you know if you get these players that you want below adp that's awesome you're getting a value but if your analysis tells you that a guy's adp is too low anyway why not use a higher pick like invest the capital put your money where your mouth is and go after these guys and I think that I mean, what you think he's worth yeah exactly, I think the tight end position in this scoring format is where we're gonna see that tested a lot for a lot of different drafters. a couple other things i've noticed from the adp that you've gathered one quarterbacks they the the, the desirable guys they start to dry up around rounds five and six, so If you don't have your first one by round five, you probably need to start thinking about it at that point. Um, You're talking about like the Tyrod Taylor types. Um, Beyond round six, you're getting into the Tannehill-Blake Bortles stage of players. And while I do believe those guys have value, I think that they're fine picks in and of themselves just as kind of members of that big middle class we've talked about uh, at the quarterback position. There is something to be said about getting uh, better quarterbacks than them in theory, uh, especially in in a format like this where you can't trade. Um, you know, you, you don't necessarily get to patch your holes at quarterback midseason because most of the relevant guys are going to get drafted, uh, and that's why you're seeing you know the them go as early as they are in these drafts. What do you think about the quarterback position as, as it's playing out in ADP right now?
1: Probably right now, I think quarterbacks. Probably, I, I kind of agree with you that I mean it, it's probably being, let's say, drafted a little bit too late. The the spots that you mentioned, where you know guys like the, the tier that we're talking about, the tier that we like up to like you know let's say QB twenty, it's gone after the after the fifth or sixth round. I think when when we get to uh, mid July when these drafts are live fire, I think these guys are going to start moving up boards. To be honest, agreed. Um, last year. I do remember, uh, with the quarter point per carry, um, quarterbacks moved up pretty quickly. I mean, I remember taking Marcus Mariota in the fourth at the end of the fourth round because I value you know quarter point per carry for, for quarterbacks. Um, I, I do think that at a certain point, like you mentioned, where you're starting to like QB twenty one on down, where you're getting in the at least right now sixth round ADP and and down, you're going to be filling those roster spots with waiver guys. As early as week three or four, in my opinion, rather than I don't want to say waste, but rather than spend draft capital on two or three of those guys, if you're trying to go streaming QB, um, I would probably prefer to go to a higher ADP quarterback and take a guy that I feel relatively certain is going to play 16 games, and then opt for you know being a waiver wire wizard later in the uh, later in the season. And find a guy, find a couple guys that can give me, you know, give me a band-aid week here or there to move along in the league uh, rather than – and spend that draft capital on wide receiver, running back, tight end. Somebody that can give me a little more scoring, somebody that's probably going to be a little more reliable, that I'm going to actually plug in a roster rather than a guy like, um, let's say, Trevor Simeon, that I'm probably not going to start every week, even in a super flex. You know, yeah. it's – it's um you know, looking at the ADP right now, there have been 43 quarterbacks, different quarterbacks drafted. Um, you know, God bless Christian Hackenberg. He's been drafted three times. Wow. Now, his ADP is 257, <laughs> but somebody drafted him. So, I mean, this is what we're looking at. When we get to the 22nd round in these drafts, guys are going to be taking Christian Hackenberg. They're going to be taking Tom Savage. They're going to be taking Vernon Adams hoping to God that the Canadian league releases him and he can go play for somebody, you know, it's, <laughs> I think we're going to be better off just, uh, just uh, foregoing those guys and, and taking our chances on waivers.
0: I think you might've made up for your Alex Smith hate earlier to Sal with the the shout out to the Canadian football league. That, that was awesome.
1: Vernon <laughs> um, Adams is the man. I mean, it, it's a shame he doesn't have an NFL job. Yeah. Maybe
0: someday, man, we, we got to keep our fingers crossed for that one. he
1: he could be the next Jeff Garcia, man. I
0: I, I feel it. Yep, that would be that would be great. um uh, Other positions. The the only other thing and we've talked about this already. I think I think that the running backs aren't being quite drafted highly enough. I, I, essentially, I think wide receivers are being overvalued, and because of that, you you can start to see some running back options in the middle rounds that that look pretty appealing if you can accept the variance. You know, a lot of the MFL ten guys we talked about earlier: Spencer Ware, Mark Ingram, C.J. Anderson. I think. Those guys, while they're sliding now in these mocks, once these real drafts get going and people have had more time to do the analysis and read the analysis uh, of, you know, what first down scoring does to these players, I think those running backs are going to rise up ADP as well. So ultimately, I think that the, we do need to, leave a pretty big grain of salt with the data that you have. And I'm not trying to disparage you for gathering it. You're doing God's work um, (laughs) putting this stuff together for the rest of us knuckleheads. But I think that in general, that this is something that we need to be careful not to put too much stock into because it is so early and because, you know, the drafters in these mocks may not necessarily be, be seeing the full picture of, of what, you know, the SFB seven is going to be like.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, and it's you know the they're mock drafts, they're practice drafts, you know, so guys that maybe aren't familiar with this kind of you know I'd say stressful format, they can get a feel for what a draft's going to be like. So I mean, they're going to play around with it, they're going to see what happens, and and that's fine, and that's why you know a lot of times I recommend instead of looking straight at the ADP data, go look at the distribution yes. and see what the breadth of the data looks like because the breadth is going to tell you what people really think, and and typically in, a, in for a format like this, you're going to want to look at the tail. of the the distribution to see where people are taking guys the earliest because that's the scenario you probably need to plan for if you really value a player
0: yep and that'll also tell you you know like when if you see other people drafting those players when they're reaching and when they're not and one of the weird things about the scott fishbowl is that some of the drafts will get out ahead of the others uh just based upon the pace of the picks coming in and there are so many smart people in these drafts. There's so many great analysts and great fans. You know, the fans play f- fantasy football just as well as the quote unquote experts most of the time. Like it's it's not that hard of a game to be good at if you really care about it. And, and if you're playing in the Scott Fishbowl, you probably do. Um, I, I think it's it's interesting that if your draft is a little bit slower, you can start to look at what these these smart minds from you know other drafts are doing, and you can be like, oh, he took mark ingram in the third round like do i need to consider that when when my league gets to the third round And i think that's kind of fascinating i don't like to you know draft based upon what other people are doing i I like to trust my own analysis but i I think it's interesting that we get that we get that info we get to kind of have a little bit of a a cheat sheet sometimes depending upon where the other drafts are at
1: yeah I, i agree with that and i think it's kind of um a maybe didn't occur to me at this moment, at least as clear as it is in my head right now, that I see one of the benefits of the, of the tool that I built last year. And then, and then going into the issue in into this year is that um, I, I think something like that, if, if everyone utilizes it, it makes the leave a lot more competitive. Oh, definitely. Because if everyone's looking at the same information and kind of, let's say evolving and, you know, becoming smarter as the draft goes along, then, you, you lose a lot of the opportunity for for huge discrepancy in particular leagues where guys can just crush everybody and and run the table and then just go crush the playoffs because they've got a um, you know this this wonderkin team out there. The ability to kind of rapidly deploy information and have everybody get smarter more quickly, I think that's that in the end that's going to serve us all better because then we're going to have better drafts, we're going to have a lot better banter. Going into the season, about well, who's got the best team? Well, hell, we don't know because, you know, we all drafted off the same cheat sheets. So let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, at, at the risk of everyone becoming better because of this, there is the chance that we become dumber in some respects as well, right? Like, if, if everybody starts to buy into certain narratives or certain uh ways of thinking in, in terms of these drafts, that that that's interesting. But I, I doubt that'll happen. Like, like you said, and like I said before there are so many smart people in the Scott fishbowl that I I think that if they're playing off each other, it's only going to make these things, like you said, more competitive, more challenging. And that's awesome. That's really cool. How big of a deal this becomes and how, how much of a grind it's going to be. And and there's that hoarding of information. Like you, you kind of get to keep your own guys a little more secret. Uh, if ADP data doesn't necessarily back up your own evaluations it's going to be so much fun man i can't wait um do you have anything else on on the sfb before we wrap this thing up josh no i don't think so all right well we went really long and i'm glad we did because we got to talk about a lot of really interesting stuff here so i'm probably going to break this up into two separate podcasts and we'll release some probably pretty close to -to back-to-back. I'll probably edit the first one and then take a day off and get to the second one, but um, we did get one listener question from Christopher Richmond. Um, I'm sorry, Christopher. I'm going to save that one for the next episode. Uh, He asked about trading draft picks and the strategy around that that's such a large topic that i'd rather give you more time on that um on the next pod that we do Deservedly so because yeah, and,
1: that's one i could rant on for 30 minutes and you don't want me to do that right, right. now.
0: and may, maybe we'll, I'll, I'll put a reply up on twitter too just so you have something in the meantime but um thank you for the question and we're just we just don't have time we've gone on too long in this episode um josh thank you very much for for joining me again it's it's been a long time coming to have you on the podcast i can't wait to have you back um, listeners, if you want to check out his work, uh, he's at 2QBs, he's at Rotoviz, Guru, Elite, DFS. Uh, you can get him to help you out with your own draft through uh, Draft Day Consultants, DDC, uh, and of course the apps, FantasyADHD.com. Uh, the MFL10 app is also at 2QBs.com if you want to find it there. But man, thank you for everything you've done for the community and for me personally, my own drafts, man. this is These are such awesome tools. I really appreciate the work that you put into them.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And it's, you know, kind of my philosophy is I, I I want to teach a man to fish because if a man learns to fish, he can eat for life. So, you know, it's not about telling people what to do. It's about showing people how they can go about their business so that they can make a decision
0: on their own. I totally agree. That's long been one of the mantras that Sal and Josh Lake and I have talked about with 2QBs is, is we're not, we want, we don't want to be the experts. We want the readers to become their own experts. <laughs> and and that's, that's something that, I mean, the tools are out there, and that's that's what these are. Uh, that's what the analysis is for. Um, use your own brain. F- find what works for you because, you know, there's so many different ways to win in this game. And that's why we love it, you know, like embrace that and, and let it become a part of how you play fantasy football. Um, if you want to interact with us, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, the site's Twitter handle is at 2QBs. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Josh is on there at FantasyADHD. Uh, If you have longer form questions, you can email those to us. Our email address is 2QBs at gmail.com. And in the Twitter handle and the email address, you have to spell that out. It's all words and letters. T-W-O-Q-B-S. So uh, that's the general spiel. Uh, You can rate and review the podcast uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever else. If you do that, you will be entered to win a copy of the 2QBs draft guide. Uh, or entry into the scott fishbowl which we have talked about at length on this podcast so be sure to get those reviews in i'm gonna have to uh do the scott fishbowl drawing very soon Uh, i don't necessarily have a deadline on it yet but i will tweet it out from my account and the 2qb site account uh once we figure out when the deadline for those reviews are josh do you have anything else you want to pipe in with before we shut this down
1: it's just been a real pleasure being on greg i appreciate the invite and I'm happy to come back anytime because I, it's the most fun I've had talking about football in a long time. So I appreciate it.
0: Cool, man. Well, let's let's do it again. Um, until then, adios to you and adios to the listeners. Have a good one, everybody. All right.
1: Cheers.